0: Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. Let me start off today reading Luke twenty-three. It was now noon, and darkness came over the whole land, and there, and until it was three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn into, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. When Jesus died on the cross, the faith of the disciples died with him. In other words, there were, maybe you've never thought of this, but there were no Christians when Jesus died. No one was thinking the resurrection. There was no faith when Jesus died. The faith, the movement was dead. No one was at the tomb with a countdown clock saying, wait for it. There were no reporters outside of the tomb waiting for the stone to be rolled away. No one was talking about a resurrection. They thought Jesus would do what dead people do, stay dead. That's all they assumed was going to happen. And God doesn't die. And so when they watched him die, they figured the dream is dead. Our faith is dead. Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be. And there were no Christians. But that was Friday. And Sunday is coming. The resurrection changed everything because it is the anchor for our faith. I I know you love Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion, But if the passion is all there is, meaning if Jesus didn't conquer the grave, if his body's still in the tomb, then we're wasting our time. And I know that sounds really harsh because I I love the cross and it gets us teary-eyed and we think of what, what Jesus did for us. But if Jesus never came back from the grave, then our faith is rather pointless. That's not me saying that. That's actually what the Bible says. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He goes on to say that if the resurrection is an April Fool's joke, he doesn't use the April Fool's part. I'm putting that in because it's April Fool's. He's saying if the, if the resurrection is an April Fool's joke, he says, we should be pitied among men because we have given our lives to something that is fake. Church, let me ask you, have you given your life to something that is fake? Now, Some of you haven't. Some of you are like, I'm not quite sure. I'm going to ask you again. Have you given your life to something that is fake? See, I proclaim that Jesus conquered the grave. I proclaim that Jesus put a beat down on the devil. The devil should have known something was up when they placed Jesus in a rented tomb, borrowed for only three days. Right? And so, this thing of the resurrection is the anchor for our faith. He is risen. No, so you got to be ready today because I'm going to be throwing at you, right? He is risen. The resurrection is the anchor of our faith. Today, we celebrate life. And so maybe you're here today and you're not all that happy where life has left you. Maybe you're here today and you kind of feel like you're surrounded by death. Dreams are dead and relationships dead and your future seems dead. The person that you want to be seems dead. But Easter reminds us that in order to have a resurrection, there must first be death. And so today... I think Jesus is going to step into your death and he's going to resurrect some people today. I think you may have come wrapped in your grave clothes, but you don't need to stay in that way. I think that the resurrection of Jesus becomes our resurrection because he is risen. risen That means his life becomes our life. We is risen. Ah, See, I threw something before a loop right there. Right, but see, that's, that's the idea of the resurrection is that if Jesus was raised from the dead, but it just stopped with him, well, it falls a little short. The idea is that his resurrection becomes our resurrection. That means we is risen. Ah, uh, yeah, see, some of you are still like, I never heard that one before. It's biblically true, okay? I'm just, just trust me on that one. I want to take us back to the first Easter. Journey all the way back to the first Easter morning. The turmoil of the crucifixion has settled down. Uh, Jerusalem has fallen back into its routine. The Jewish and Romans leader and leaders have taken a breath. Their future seems well set with their problem now put to rest. The disciples are scattered and the women go to the tomb to finish preparing the body for burial. But when they get to the tomb, they notice the stone is rolled away and the body is missing. Now, no one was thinking resurrection. Even at that point, they said someone stole the body. So the scripture tells us that there were two angels just kind of hanging out at the tomb. And I think they were just waiting for someone to come by. See, I, I, this is my mind is warped, but I think they've had their lines that they were ready to say from the beginning of beginnings, and now they're just waiting for their time. And so, you know, the body's empty, and they're like, when's someone going to come? I got this big line. I'm ready to say it. I'm just waiting for someone. And here comes the women down to the tomb, and all of a sudden they have their big opportunity. Look at Luke 24, 5. He said, in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, it was actually angels, said to them, here's their big line, Why do you look for the living among the dead? I think they looked at each other and they were like, nailed it. (laughs) Right? I've been working on that one about a million times. And so they said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Now allow the Spirit of God to speak that and ask that question over you. Why are you looking for life among things that are dead? Why do we look for life in a dead relationship? Why do we look for life in a dead scene or in a dead religion of guilt and condemnation? Why do we look for life in dead toys and dead things? And why do you, why do I look for the living among the dead? So we're going to leave the tomb for just a moment because there are several things taking place on this Easter morning. We'll come back to it, but now we're going to catch up with two travelers. Luke 24 introduces us to two people that we have never heard of. One of them, we never even get their name. And they are leaving Jerusalem. Luke later tells us that they were disciples of Jesus, not one of the 12, but quite possibly one of the 70 that Luke talks about in Luke chapter 10. And they were followers of Jesus, but an unexpected turn of events, the crucifixion, has left them lifeless and unresponsive. And so now they're doing the only thing that they know to do, and that is to go back home. And so they're on a seven-mile road that leads from Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus. We catch up to them on this road. Now I want you to understand the the, the image here. Their back is to Jerusalem. They're heading in the wrong direction. They're leaving the place where the crucifixion took place. They're leaving the city where the Holy Spirit would soon to be given. They're leaving the city where Jesus was crucified and the city where Jesus would be resurrected. And now they're headed home to Emmaus, defeated and rejected. If you go to Israel, you can walk the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Maybe. Because we're not even sure where Emmaus is anymore, or was anymore. It was so insignificant that on maps today, we kind of gave it our best shot. We said, we think this was Emmaus. It was that insignificant. It wouldn't even make it through history. When you think of Emmaus, think of a smaller version of Tucson. It's okay to visit, but you don't want to live there. Right? (laughs) Right? Say, if you're from Tucson, just say truth, right? And so here's this this idea of of two travelers leaving Jerusalem, heading off to Emmaus. Now, meanwhile, to that meanwhile, now catch me, a lot going on. The women are at the tomb. The body's missing. Meanwhile, two disciples are leaving Jerusalem. They're heading to Emmaus. And meanwhile, somewhere in Jerusalem, Jesus is back from the grave, and he's planning his next steps. What do you do on the day that you defeat death? Maybe you throw a big uh, resurrection party with a huge banner that says, Welcome back, Jesus. Welcome back. Anyone under 40? Catch that, all right? Some of you, hey, just watch. It's back on television, all right? Don't make me feel old. And so what do you do? Maybe you invite the who's who from Judea. Maybe you rent out a hall and you throw a big party. Or maybe you post a video on YouTube, if they had it, or post some pictures on Instagram. What do you do on the day that you conquered death in the grave? What Jesus does might surprise you because he actually takes a walk. He walks down a lonely seven-mile road to Emmaus, a town that wouldn't even make it into modernity. He takes a seven-mile walk to catch up with two people we have never even heard of. One of them, we don't even get their name. It doesn't make sense to me. Why would, why would Jesus leave the prominence and status of Jerusalem for these two? Later, Luke gives us the name of one of the travelers. His name is Cleopas. We're going to call him Cleo because we'll get it on a first name basis. And Cleo and his traveling partner, some scholars think it was his wife, but we're not sure. Cleo and his traveling companion are leaving Jerusalem, headed towards Emmaus. If they thought there would be a resurrection, they would have waited longer, right? You could have taken out another hotel for one more night. But their hope hung on the cross with Jesus and now their faith is dead. But I love the imagery that's taking place here. Jesus leaves Jerusalem fresh out of the grave and goes after two unknown people whose faith is dead. They're headed in a dead direction going to a dead town, but Jesus leaves everything behind to go after two dead people because grace will track you down. Anyone have grace track them down? Anyone, were you headed in the wrong direction, hanging with the wrong people, going to the wrong place, and out of nowhere, Jesus appears and says, what you doing? (laughs) We're going to find out in this passage that Jesus is quite sneaky. He has a way of just kind of sneaking up on you. Jesus may be sneaking up on some of you today. And so he kind of takes this road with them, and Jesus makes his appearance. Now, the power in our story today is in the journey. Just tell someone next to you, tell your neighbor, the power's in the journey. Go ahead, I'm keeping you engaged. Just tell. You better tell your other neighbor because that neighbor didn't seem too interested. Tell the other one. <laughs> tell them the power is in the journey. What I mean by that is that Christianity is a journey. It's not a destination. Meaning God will accomplish in you what he wants to accomplish in you as long as you stay on the journey. We've been talking about that for the last two series, right? This idea of Philippians 1, 6, that God who created started a good work in you. He will perfect it if you stay on the journey. And so Cleo wasn't where he was supposed to be. He's on a detour of life, and God meets him on his detour. Look at Luke 24, 13 and 14. Now, at the same time, two of them were traveling to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're talking about the good old days when faith and hope was alive. Verse 15. And as they walk and they discuss these things with one another, here's sneaky Jesus, Jesus himself came up upon them and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't say why they were kept from recognizing him. I'm not sure if it was a supernatural thing. I find it odd that most of the disciples did not recognize Jesus after the resurrection. I think there was something within them. You know, maybe there was a hardness of heart or something. Most of the disciples did not recognize him. Uh, John 20 says that when Mary first saw Jesus at the tomb, I find this funny, John records that Mary thought he was the gardener. True, true. I'm wondering, here's Jesus thinking, are you kidding me right now? I just conquered death and hell, and you think I'm the gardener. I find that funny. Maybe it's not, but I, I, I think that that's funny. And so uh, they, they're, they're kept from recognizing him. Have you ever had a hard time recognizing truth, the truth of a situation? I think sometimes we get so set in our ways, we don't recognize what's happening. I didn't recognize the kids were growing up so quickly, so I just kept working, putting the family off till tomorrow, and now too many tomorrows have passed. I didn't recognize the people I was hanging with were doing things that would stick with me for the rest of my life. I didn't recognize that the attraction was becoming an addiction. I didn't recognize that my spirit was slowly dying. I didn't recognize the good things about the person that I promised to spend the rest of my life with. So I began to focus on mildly annoying things until it became an insurmountable resentment. I didn't recognize truth and so here's Cleo and his partner. They're in the presence of truth, but they don't recognize truth, verse 17. And he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces to the ground. I find this really funny that, that here is Jesus, resurrected Jesus, the word of God, the word made flesh, the author of life, the champion of death and the grave, Jesus who knows the beginning from the end and walks up to two people and says, what are you all talking about? <laughs> That's funny to me. And here's Jesus sneaking up on him and says, what are we talking about? And so what's, what's even better is uh, they begin to talk to him about this. One of them, uh, whose name was Cleopas, we get his name, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there on these days? And I love how Jesus responds, what things? <laughs> it's like if, if Jesus is talking to Cleo, I can almost see him saying, what things? And he's turning away, trying not to laugh. What things, right? It's like Jesus is setting them up for something. You know something's coming. He's sneaky. I'm just saying. And so they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus is like, really? Tell me more about this. What did you say his name was? Jesse? Was that his name? Like, no, Jesus. And so uh, they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. You ever tell God what he's supposed to be like? You ever try to tell God how he's supposed to answer prayer, what he's supposed to do for your kids, what he's supposed to do in your life as a God? Let me just tell you what you're supposed to be like. Well, here are these guys I begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. And so they start off saying this: that He was a prophet. Powerful in word indeed before God and all the people. And maybe this is why they didn't recognize him because they were still calling him a prophet. He wasn't a prophet. He was God in the flesh. Now, catch this. They're standing before the great I am. They're standing before he is. But they started the conversation with he was. And sometimes I think we miss what is because we're stuck in what was. And sometimes I think God needs to rattle us out of what was to get us to embrace what he's doing Today, sometimes we can be so trapped in our old life that God needs to kind of, kind of wake us up and shake us and say, forget about what was, let's embrace what is and let's move forward. And so it says, the chief priest, he's telling Jesus what happened, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Jesus is like, you don't say. That's crazy stuff right there. And so verse 21, but we had hoped, catch those four words, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. We had hope. There's so much of us in those four words. I had hoped that this situation would be over by now. I had hoped that the medication would cure it. I had hoped the doctors would figure out what's going on. I had hoped that I'd be married by 25. I had hoped that my marriage would make it. I had hoped that the situation would change. I had hoped. But hope was now dead. But see, this is the beauty of the resurrection is we're going to find out how Jesus resurrects hope. Because God is not only found in our hope, but he is found in our disappointment, even when life takes a detour. And so we jump to the end of the passage for time. Jesus walks with them to Emmaus. He's acting like he's going to move on further, keep going. And they're like, Jesus, it's late. It's getting dark. Why don't you come and stay with us? And so he begins to unpack scripture for them. We'll jump to verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it. Listen, he's a guest in their house. Jesus is taking over. If you invite Jesus in, he's taking over. So he's a guest in their house. He's like, give me the bread. I'm taking over. And so he breaks the bread. He gives thanks. He gives it to them. And then suddenly, verse 31, then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And then look what happens next. And he disappeared from their sight. Because Jesus is sneaky. I'm just I don't mean that disrespectfully. Disappeared from the side. And then they asked each other, Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened scripture to us, what they said, and then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It was already dark, did it matter? get a candle. We'll travel by moonlight. We're taking a seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem because that's what Easter is all about. It's all about resurrection. It's about His resurrection becoming our resurrection. It's about Jesus resurrecting dead faith and dead futures and dead hope and Him resurrecting dead lives and dead relationships and dead dreams. And so two people who were dejected and had given up on all of life, suddenly when Jesus appears, His resurrection Resurrection becomes their resurrection, and they pack up their stuff. And in nighttime, they say, "Let's get back to Jerusalem because Jesus has a way of resurrecting anyone he comes into contact with." And so they make their way back to Jerusalem. And now they're in a room with all the other disciples. And John tells us the door was actually locked. And they're in a room now. Cleo and and his partner—they're in the room with the disciples, and they're all sharing their stories. And then it says, "And suddenly Jesus appeared before them." Because he's sneaky. Well, I'm not sure how he got in the room. But Jesus appears before them and he begins to speak to them. And he says this. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And catch this part. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. See, I I think that God brought some of you here. Because you need to hear about the forgiveness for your sins. And I think God got you here because he's sneaky. (laughs) And you're here because he loves you enough to say, I don't want you going through life dead in your sins. And I want you to embrace forgiveness. Today we celebrate resurrection life and we thought what better way to celebrate the resurrection than by celebrating the spiritual resurrection of people in our church and so if you're being baptized today would you come up here would you do that for me just come right up here would you let's go all the way to the end come on come on go all the way to the end church what do you think about these people Go all the way to the end of the stage. We'll need to crunch in. See, we have 33 people being baptized today on Easter Sunday. And, and, and between this service and the final service uh, uh, for third service and what happened last, last service, uh, 33 people are saying that I've committed to give my life to Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. That's a big deal right there. Yeah. And so, I'm proud of you for your decision and what you made. Let's crunch down. Let's, Scott, let me get you up on stage. It's, it's not right if you guys are hanging off. Keep going. Keep crunching in. There you go. There you go. Now, I got a couple questions for you. Are you proclaiming your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. I do. And do you put your whole trust in the grace and love of God today? If so, say, I do. do. And do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? If so, say, I do. do. Then we, as your church family, celebrate with you as you make a proclamation of your faith. Now, in the early church uh, reveal, uh, it was uh, very common that on Easter Sunday, uh, they would do baptisms, and so when you converted to Christianity, often you were kind of kept under wraps and on the down low, and baptism was, don't take this the wrong way, your coming out party, so to speak, and, 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 and so they would give their life to Jesus. They'd be kept on the down low, and then Easter would come, and all of a sudden, there would be these people walking to the local body of water, and it was their first public declaration that I've decided to follow Christ. This is their declaration saying, I've decided to. To follow Christ. All right, guys, go ahead over there. You can have a seat. All right, so church, here is, here's your part in this. Uh, parents, if you have children being baptized, you can come up with me. If you want to get pictures, you can come over on this side. I'd only ask for one camera per family. We'll upload all the photos we're taking, but you can take uh, some pictures over here. And then you have a really important role on this side. Um, so he- here's what it is. This row right here, your celebration row, as if you couldn't already tell by all the confetti. See, I can't have you sitting here with your arms crossed while people are baptized, are walking down here, making their way to the bathroom, and so you're going to have an important part to play because you're going to be cheering them on and giving them high fives, and you're going to be popping some poppers in their face and getting stuff in their eye so they can't see where they're going. All right? So, so, pick up stuff on the ground have a good time. We're going to worship, so you're going to stand and worship with us. But this is not the time to be quiet. This is a time to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and his resurrection in us. And you, you hoot and holler for every person who is making a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord today. Amen. All right, let's get it on. Lord, be with us. Be with us. There are worse ways you could have spent an hour and a half on Easter Sunday. Listen, this is the resurrection power of God in us. Doesn't mean that all problems go away. It's that God meets us on the journey. Remember when I said there's power in the journey? There's power in the journey. So I am honored that we got to play a part and got to witness uh, the transformation of so many lives. and We got more coming next service. And so I bless you. Listen, come back next week. Invest in your own spiritual development. See what God has for you. See the life that Jesus will create in you. And I look forward to seeing you guys back next week. Go have your ham, whatever you're doing. God bless you guys.